You want to see the future of the aluminum industry? If you don't have a mentor, you're going to take 10 times longer to figure something out. You have to listen to the customer. Uh, what are their needs? What are their problems? Pay attention. Look around. What is your voltage? Podemos decir que somos una de las, de las empresas líderes. So thank you so much for being here. We are here with uh, Fabian Niklas, CEO of Casting Campus. And welcome again for one uh, or another episode of uh, Dirty Scrap, the Aluminum podcast. Fabian, how are you doing? Thank you so much for being here with us. How are you? Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. I'm fine and I'm looking forward to be here. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. And I can see that you are more than ready to be here. I really appreciate it. So, Fabian, we've been talking about several approaches to the industry in this podcast, sustainability. And one of the main topics that we uh, had in our podcast was the technology and how the process is evolving year by year. So before going in that direction, I want you to introduce yourself, your background, how you've been involved into the aluminum industry and how you get uh, to get involved in all these different trends and processes. So I studied to be a material engineer in Austria. So I'm actually German, but went to Austria to study material science. And as I was going to the finish line, I started okay, doing internships and I got an internship at Mercedes-Benz, their foundry in Stuttgart. It was steel casting and sand, they did the turbocharger housings there, but that was the point where I was stuck in foundry industry. Because it was right. so fascinating. And especially if you're compared from a material science guy that knows the laboratory. And then you go out and make tons of pieces. Right. It was amazing. And then I stuck there. But afterwards I heard they closed that shop and doing batteries now there. But it was a good opportunity to look around. And I found mm -hmm. a job for Reinfeld and Alloys developing aluminum casting alloys. And the die casting okay. alloys, high pressure die casting alloys. And so I started in the industry learned every trade. Mm -hmm. After that, I moved to Switzerland to DDS Drucker Systeme, which is a high-pressure die casting foundry with several plants. And I had also there all the signs from the sales to the customer claims management and also in between everything process material related right customer claim sounds really really fun huh? <laughs> uh, no that's but you that's the part where you learn the most <laughs> <laughs> not at all right right I, i'm a material engineer too from uh, colombia and uh, i i've been like you know getting more in touch with people that been in the same uh let's say degree a material engineer and everyone is like jumping into this industry because this industry is growing a lot for how long you been in this industry um so i finished my degree in 2017 and i think the internship was in 2016 or 15 mm -hmm. and then you start from there exactly now tell me about uh casting campus because you are the ceo what do you do what is your expertise and what is your main approach to the industry because the industry is changing a lot and it's changing very fast it's not like 10 years ago that everything well mostly in the united states stay pretty much the same but the regulations environmental regulations and everything in europe is a little bit different it's, it's more complicated because everyone wants to go green you know green aluminum closed loop systems energy recovery systems circular economy so what is your expertise and how did you become the ceo of this company um, so i became the ceo by starting that company so it was the easy part right. living <laughs> of it is the, is the other thing and that's what i talk about now um it was more like i saw the need of the industry to combine the things of sustainability mm -hmm. type of die castings and also the terms of Rio casting, which opened up new possibilities. Right. And I wanted to combine it 
and said, okay, to do that, I don't need the company that I was employed and said, okay, I had the questions all the time from all angles, like, let's try it. And now I'm here and happy, more happy than I could ever be. Just so working good. on those things I really like, getting right. costings, more sustainable and in better quality out. What is the most challenging activity you have in your in your daily process because i think we are talking about high pressure die casting here right or die casting in general because you have different type of you know because when you say in the industry die casting some some people say that that's not die casting that is gravity casting or you know but for me it's pretty much a full group what is the most challenging activity that you are seeing not just in your company but in the entire die casting concept currently everything is changing so we have the lighthouse project giga casting which is a very small niche in the right. industry it's basically currently just one company doing it tesla another one starting it with volvo and several others looking into it oh, but yeah. it's not a solution that is feasible for a high volume car like a Volkswagen Golf or something like that. Right. It's it, if the amount of cars becomes too low, it's not the right thing because the machines and the tools are too expensive. If the volume is too high. You need too many things. So it's quite a fine line. But what's happening in the shade of that is the part integration. So you don't need to right. go in that size, but you can have now larger machines, 4,400 ton. Clamping force is a standard machine size. Now you can integrate 10 pieces from smaller machines into one bigger. Right. And that's a lot of pressure on foundries, which these smaller machines, they're usually fully paid off and are the backbone of these foundries. And Rio casting is something that really helps to get new products in because for the current products, everybody's competing on it and it's impossible to make money of it. Right. This is like a, it's like a commodity. When you have a commodity, it's very complicated to compete against other because everything is related to the price. So the, exactly. the, the company or the people or whoever that has the most amount of money and that can receive more financial hits will be the winner at the end everyone will lose right now that you're talking about the giga casting i i want i i always was like trying to understand how sustainability on the aluminum recycling side can be like a good match with the with the giga casting process because at the end you just said it uh, something similar or something related to it that is you can make more pieces out of just one machine maybe your byproducts or uh, the product that you are taking out that is not working on the car but you will need to remelt it and everything will be less i want to understand a little bit better about the sustainability against the giga casting how do you see that so it really depends where you get your uh, um your aluminium from so right. aluminium per se doesn't really has a high energy to make it if you have a primary out need a lot of energy and if you're going like a chinese coal plower plant then you're about 20 to 25 kilogram of co2 per kilogram aluminium yeah on the other side if you go on the primary there are some foundry in norway they produce like alcoa or hydro they mm -hmm. produce the alloys with about four kilograms of co2 per kilogram aluminium and even have plants to go down even further right so there's the first thing if you go on a primary route and then there's the secondary route and the problem which aluminium has in comparison, for example, to steel. With steel, it doesn't matter. You collect the scrap, put it in a big basket, put it on, on a lot of energy, and the iron stays in, everything else goes out. Right. The aluminium would be opposite, then you have just left with everything else, and magnesium aluminium is gone. Right, right. And so selecting the scrap is the real challenge. To know which scrap source you have, what is the content, and then recycling into new alloys. Mm -hmm. And then... For example, if you see like the old cars, 
20, 30 years old, high pressure die casting wasn't that involved. So it was like 226. Casting brackets, they have right. about 3.5% copper. Current regulations for high ductility alloys are 0.03% of copper. So you cannot use that. Nope. Then you have the sheet metals. They are quite good. So they have a low silicon content, low other products because they need a high um, load on them. And while making them, you need a lot of bending angles. But still, they quite have a high iron content, which it makes it easier to produce them. Yep. And afterwards, if you melt them, then you have to dilute it with new aluminium. And also you have to add a lot of silicon. Silicon also has a quite high carbon footprint of six to nine kilograms of CO2 per kilogram aluminium. And it's not cheap. And that's the second thing. It's also not cheap. Right. But so if you have your ideal is to have a source that is the same alloy that you can have a cleaning process and then use it again. But it's hard to find these. You have the uh, 356 alloy, which is used for mm. the wheels with a very pure alloy. Yep. But also the wheel manufacturers have the same requirements. So they take their wheels close loop. But if you do it, there's one company out, Ecomelt, they sell scrapped wheels. You have, and you have a carbon footprint from their factory right. in Canada from 0.089 kilograms CO2 per kilo aluminium. And that's fantastic. And it is, it is. I know, I, I know the, I know the product very well. And also uh, just to, to add something to what you're saying is it's not just related to uh, pick the proper scrap with the right type of alloy and the right amount of contamination, but also to understand the process that you need to uh, put into the game in order to clean that, that that scrap, but also in order to understand the better technology to reach the high efficiency or the higher efficiency that you can reach. Because at the end, what you want is to keep the maximum amount of aluminum inside your furnace, create the less amount of dross or, or, or oxides, and at the end, have the better product with the right mechanical properties, right? That's what you are looking for. And reducing the carbon footprint, but also reducing the byproduct that you create in the process itself. Exactly, so it's two options uh, one thing is to reduce the carbon footprint itself. The other thing is take aluminium that's already in the circle and put it back into your alloy. So if it two piece strategy. Right. So now, now that we are getting into in, into this sustainability topic, Rio casting is a really nice process. I just checked this process like three weeks ago, and it was amazing. It's, it's very simple, but at the at, at, at the same time, it's very complex. In this company, they use 40% semi-solid aluminum and 60% liquid aluminum to make parts out of uh, die casting processes. What is the main, let's say, strength of the, of the real casting process? Why people is going in this direction because 60 years ago was something impossible, right? How you can keep the semi-solid metal in that state in order to use it to the process was very, very complicated, but now it's a reality. So why Rio casting and how is changing this process, the industry? Yeah, so Rio casting itself, it's just a title. It's like die casting. Right. Yeah. And also if you do a pattern search, you will find about 88 different variants. Most of them never made it out of the laboratory. The main differences between them is how you control the process. Okay, interesting. You have like from these 88, you have 87 of these processes, which take the alloy, take the liquid temperature and say, okay, we need to cool down one, two, three, four, five degrees below or above the liquid temperature. Mm -hmm. But as you also know, as a material scientist, a bit of a changing in the chemical composition and your liquid temperatures somewhere else. Oh, yeah. And for that, you don't change your process that often. So at the end, you will end up 
with a totally different setup from the solid fraction and everything. Mm -hmm. And that's the main reason that it's not out there because it never worked in a production. Mm -hmm. And now to the process you've seen. This process is called real metal process and it's not temperature controlled. It mm -hmm. works like for the explanation for the viewers, uh, you cast some aluminum ice cubes. Mm -hmm. The important thing is that it's from the same furnace, so it has the same chemical composition. You cool right. them down, they're completely solidified. And afterwards, then another robot takes the shot weight and goes under these ice cubes. They melt off, and while mm -hmm. melting off, it cools down. When it cools down, dendrites form, but because of the rotation, it squishes them up and makes them round spherical particles. And it works every time, because the mass that is melting off has the same chemical composition and right. that's the breakthrough which made it even possible to have a serious production in real casting so how do you select the 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 right process for what you're looking for because you just said that in in the lab scale you have so many different variations that you need to play with it right the process i saw as i said was 40 percent semi-solid 60 percent yep. uh liquid aluminum and yeah you dissolve the the solid into the liquid and with the agitation to to do what you just you said you cool it down and then you end up with around 40 exactly. is quite a sweet spot for the real casting mm. process okay but you have more or, or, or different approaches how do you select the real or the right process will depend on the mechanical properties the internal structure that you are looking for or how do you select it it's quite easy so you have like 87 of them that are not production stable mm -hmm. and one is production stable so which process you take is quite easy in my right. eyes well, i know there are other <laughs> because, that because you know you know well. about it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's for me it doesn't make sense to take a process that's not production stable and you have to compromise in every way what do you mean about production at the same stable? place that you already in right what do you mean about production stable what, what is stable and what is not stable for you it's not stable if every time you pour in a new melt you have a new liquidus temperature and you have different properties afterwards mm -hmm. because your fraction solid is different because the process cannot adapt right but okay. if you have a, like these ice cubes that have the same chemical composition so the liquidus temperature and the latent heat is exactly matching every time right god yeah that makes sense i mean you need to reproduce your process every time in order to have same amount of metal and same quality in your final product exactly if you see the specifications they're quite wide and you're bouncing between the edges of that on a daily basis because one batch has a higher silicon content the end of it has a lower it and you're always mixing it and mm -hmm. you need variability in your process right so what are the the let's say the advantages of this process against the old process or the common process that we have in the industry because not everyone is using this approach right no it's so quite the, new right except for for how long this process been in the industry at industry level because at laboratory laboratory scale i can imagine that being sitting there for years right but in the industry level how long so I think as I know it from Comtech in Sweden, which developed the machines, they started as a foundry and started with the process in 2006 or 2008 mm -hmm. and developed it for themselves until 2017, 18. And then they switched from being a foundry delivering Rio castings to the suppliers to switching the business model to selling the machines to foundries and supporting mm. them with the technology. So it's an industrial product since basically was relaunched at the Eurogus. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and but, what is the difference between... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, uh, keep on. Yeah, no, and what is the difference between the mechanical properties that you have with this process, new one, against the old way to do things? Well, not the old way, but the, the, the normal way yeah. to do it. Yeah, so the 
mechanical properties are, are mostly alloy driven. So if you have a yield strength of 120 with Rio casting and the contact weather, you will end up at the same thing. Okay. But there is some catches. So eutectic alloys like ILSE 9, ILSE 10, or ILSE 12 are not usable with that process because they need a quite big process window. But that's the trend to go. If you look at all these larger castings in the Volkswagen Group, or also Tesla's Giga casting, these are LSE7 castings. All of die casting is LSE7. Mm -hmm. And the great thing is that you have, so one thing, you have to do something new, but it's also the great thing that you can do something new, something different. Right. You have different in-gate systems with a low, to get the low metal speeds working that allow mm -hmm. or fill. So you can take forgings into Rio casting or any pressure tight things you need. You have mm. to have long flow lengths for the giga castings. Or on the other side, if you need an every thin walled casting, like a heat sink, you can do that as well. And right. also you can lower down the silicon content to about 2.5%. Mm -hmm. And now your competitor is making it out of a block out of aluminum and milling it. So you have these unfair advantages and that's right. the great thing. So if you have, for example, your shock tower that's currently cast LSE 10 T7 heat treatment, that's mm -hmm. not the application for Rio casting that runs perfectly fine. But there are so right. many new applications like your batteries, they have to be pressure tight and they have to be pressure tight. If you cast the whole floor at the end of the filling, that's impossible to do in high-pressure die casting. That was my, uh, that will be my, my, my next question. So for which processes the Rio casting process is the right one. You just name one, but what else? Mm -hmm. What can what, what can we expect from now for the next, let's say, two or five years uh, that this technology will help in what? What do you think about it? How do you see it? I see it especially as the tools and the flow lengths increases and the properties increase. So the, not the mechanical properties, more the properties of the casting increase, the more it's needed to do. For example, these eager castings, you have a lot of... Mm -hmm. um, overflow systems because all the metal meetings have to be pushed out of the casting because they cannot recombine right with rio casting we had one tool that has 2.5 meters of flow length in a 600 ton machine mm -hmm. and then you can reduce the machine size do you have a longer tool lifetime because your slurry is 100 degrees cooler than your liquid melt so your right. ingate section will live way longer and if you consider like something like two to five million US dollars per tool getting 50 to 100% longer die lifetime is a jackpot. Okay, got it. How, for me, it's very interesting to understand why in a semi-solid state you will have better flow control than in a liquid metal because liquid will flow very easy, right? That's what you're imagining when you are talking about semi-solid and, and this is rheology, right? This is uh, elastoplastic properties of these materials. How this process is easier and better from the flow control than the liquid. Looks like it's a little bit complicated to understand, right? Exactly. It's completely counterintuitive. Exactly. Why? Um, you're, you're always around you. These All the liquids you know, they are Newtonian. Liquid aluminum has a Newtonian fluid reaction. So everything is around us. But one thing isn't. You know these ketchup bottles. Mm -hmm. You pull them and it doesn't flow out. Then you hit it. And it starts flowing and your complete table is full of ketchup. Right. Ketchup is also tixotropic. So when it starts flowing, it flows really well. Right. And the key to it is shear forces. So you need, if you just let it flow down, gravity isn't a good uh, producer of shear forces. But right. a narrow tool cavity and a blunter behind it is a perfect generator for shear forces. Mm, no, I got it. And with these shear forces, it acts like it is liquid but it still isn't. Right. Another effect is these 
particles that you brought in. They are like a pocket warmer in the winter. So you can solidify on the cavity on the outside on the steel mold and the heat goes into the cooling system. But it also it's easier if there's already a particle in the middle, then it will solidify on that. The mm -hmm. latent heat doesn't go into cooling system, it goes in the rest of the melt and heats it up. That, that's that's pretty interesting. Now, talking about everything that we are talking around, uh, around what is the difference or, or what is the, 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 the market impact that you think that this type of approach will have in the future? Do you see any difference? Do you see companies changing from one approach to another very soon or not, not really? Because at the end, what I'm understanding is this is a special for certain processes and those processes are limited to the certain amount of vehicles. For example, if we go to in that direction that you need to sell in order to be profitable with this type of approach. So what is the impact? Yeah, so always to get started is a bit of a chicken and egg problem. Right, yeah. So you have <laughs> customers saying, hey, if you have a machine, we will maybe get a part there. And if foundry says, hey, if you have a part, then we can buy a machine, but... Right. <laughs> but then also oftentimes in the big OEMs, there's the compliance, so you need at least five to 10 different suppliers that not be biased and all of that. Mm -hmm. But the best thing is to start where the pain is the biggest. So if you have to switch from a high-pressure die-casting compressor housing mm -hmm. to a forging, that's like a five-time increase of price. Right. You could do that in Rio casting. Or you can take large volumes of die-castings and take mm -hmm. them into Rio casting. So in high-pressure die-casting, it ends up at five to seven millimeter wall thickness. We had castings with 18 millimeters in Rio casting. And you can, you can take control, the efficiency of higher press. Right. You can really have better control on the thickness and everything with this process because of the characteristics you just said. Yeah, you have a laminar fill. And because we already have like 40%, which is the sweet spot of solid particles in there, the right. shrinkage of the aluminum goes down from 6.6% maybe to half of it because the first, first percentages are the worst for the shrinkage porosity. Right. And with that pocket warmer effect, we can't feed it forever. Interesting. So you really, you do, if it have to be pressure tight or 120 bars helium tested, which is the usually the requirement for forgings, can be achieved in real casting. But you have to do something new. Definitely, definitely. And talking about the environmental impact, I, I don't think that the process itself has something to, to provide in this direction, maybe on what you just said, that is, will take less time into the machine. So you will be more efficient. So you will have a better, let's say, uh, you will take advantage of the electricity or gas consumption and everything that you are consuming into your process because you have better timing, right? But not, not only that, you, so. You have you can use different alloys. For example, if you cast an A356 alloy mm -hmm. in a high-pressure die cast machine, your two lifetime will go down significantly and you don't really get the properties you know from die casting. But in real casting, you can cast that alloy. And also if you elect all these ADC7 alloys, you don't need the seven percent silicon for the properties. They're basically there to get the castability. And if right. you don't need the silicon for the castability, you can reduce it to Maybe it's three, four, five percent of silicon, which that is much? my ASN is just half. And then it's just like that 0 0.3, 0 0.4 percent of carbon, uh, percent 0 0.4 
kilograms of CO2 per kilo aluminium saved just by not adding the silicon to it. Oh, interesting. I never thought about that because I, I, I always think about, yeah, silicon you need it because we'll help you with the flow. So you will cover the full mold. You will have the good edges. You will have the really nice surface. Yep. But this is new for me. So with the real casting process, you can lower down the silicon content, but also you will have these castability properties in the higher that you can reach. Exactly. So a 20 millimeter dome next to a 0.4 millimeter thin fin on the top you can fill both you you can fit a fin is filled and the dome is porous free so what a perfect technology for all these complex castings let me ask you something when you are introducing the semi-solid state metal into the machine what is the maximum size you need you can reach with that uh the, with that state because at the end you have a low temperature metal right it's not a high temperature like the liquid metal you have so in the liquid metal that is hot you will have let's say more time before the solidification process start. In this case, the solidification process, the cooling down will start earlier, right? Because you have this lower temperature and this percentage of yes. uh, semi-solid. Exactly, but it's actually not that. It maintains the temperature because of that pocket warmer effect. It will right. keep its temperature level, whatever you do, until it's completely solidified, then it starts to cool down. Interesting. This is very, very scientific. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the same thing with the eutectic system. When you reach the eutectic point, it maintains right. the temperature. And it's basically the same thing now. Right. For the people that is not a scientific or has no engineering degree, it's like when you have, let's say, alcohol in water and you want to boil it, you will keep the same temperature when you are just, you know, evaporating the alcohol before you start like seeing going up again, right? Something similar that you can keep the temperature for longer so you can, let's say, fill a huge machine with this process and keep the same property. Exactly. You can do it in every vacation. Take a big glass of ice, mm -hmm. put it in the sun, it, and then measure the temperature within the cup. It will stay at around zero degrees Celsius for as long as there's ice in it. As soon as the ice melts off, it gets warm very quickly. Right, right. Interesting. I I, 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 I like it a lot because I'm a material engineer. I, I'm more on the, uh, on the sales side, but for me, understanding this process that is completely new for the industry, not completely new, but it's getting more and more strength, is very, very nice. What is the next challenge that this process needs to achieve in order to, boom, explode? What do you think about it? It's hard to tell. Basically, it's just one big application. And the first one saying, okay, we use it. So maybe it's already there because Rivian using Rio casting. Right. Yeah. GM has parts in Rio casting. So it's basically now a time who will say, okay, if they do it, we do it. Right. Yeah, everyone will do it for sure. <laughs> in some yeah. point. Yeah. As I said, it's it's really an application where you can have a huge benefits for certain applications. It's not for all, but you can also retrofit your machines. Right. And if you don't get parts that you can live off, right. it's better now, to switch now to get new parts that you can have an unfair advantage of your competition. Agreed. Totally agree. Now, do you see any cooperation with other sectors, not just the EVs, but maybe other sectors in the industry? I, I don't know, both or solar panels. I don't think that for solar panels, but but it's something that you can use in other industries or you are just seeing into the die casting for parts and, and forging applications for the EVs. No, it's not just for the EVs. Um, so it's like for every type of compressor housing that they have to be high pressure tight. And for the EU regulation, it changes now the climate gas to propane. 
which is very easy to penetrate through aluminium. If there's one small crack or it will go just pass through. That's why all the OEMs starting now to switch to forgings, which are more expensive. The other thing is the telecom industry. They have a, okay. with these 5G antennas, they have a lot of heat output. So they want to go for real casting to use that because it's easier to mill. You have the casting already with the right properties. There is no heat treatment and you reduce your silicon, uh, your carbon footprint by ages. This is one of uh, the question that I have on my on my mind right now. Do you need any heat treatment process out of this process? Or because at the end, every time, not every time, but in some applications, you need to go for homogenizing processes or any other thermal um, process in order to homogenize the, the, the interior or the structure of your material. With this process, it's not something that you need to do or you just can avoid? It depends on the application. So if you did use, for example, if you take the A356 alloy, if you've used the heat treatment in your process and you need a high strength, then you still need it because the right. final properties, the strength is defined by the alloy. So the Rio casting doesn't add any magic that it's like 10 times stronger now. The only impact that really you can really see is on the elongation because that's a casting defect driven if you have less mm -hmm. less defects you get a better elongation that's something right. we see okay yeah because at the end, mechanical properties needs uh, or, or are related to what you just said the alloy grain mm -hmm. size and, and and all these different uh, uh, approaches now what is your vision for the future but I, I i want to just not keep talking about the real casting process but also about aluminum sustainability wow. because in europe it's a little bit different so how do you see the future everyone is more and more involving into the recycling industry, more than the primary industry, but the primary industry is huge. And in order to reach the amount of recycling aluminum we want to see in the next 10 years, we will need at least, what I know is at least 25 million uh, tons of uh, capacity more in order to have that aluminum into the circle, right? Because the, the experts said that by 2032 in Europe, we will see around 90% of the aluminum that we will see will be recycled aluminum. I don't know if that is true or not, or if it's achievable in that short term, because 10 years is not that much. How do you see that? Do you think that in some point it will be easy just to work with recycling aluminum and put aside on the primary? Or do you do you think it's not something that we will see soon? It, it, again, it, it depends on the scrap sources, because these high-strength alloys, they have a very narrow field for impurities. Right. And if you take scrap from somewhere, you have to dilute it, so primary won't go away. But if you find the right sources, and it's more than if we are 10 years further down the line, the cars are the, now the 10-year-old cars, which have a way more castings in them, which are suitable to use. So it's an effect that will take place, but it will take some time. Mm -hmm. What we can do now is optimize our production. Do we really need the 720 degrees in the furnace or is it 700 enough? And then what's the usage we have on different machines? Can we organize it our production a bit differently to not use that much energy? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I think it's related from the process side, material side, but you need to improve the process with technology, with closed loop system and all these type of approaches in order to 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 be sustainable now also it's something to talk about the specifications right is it really needed that you're that tied in all of these properties for the can you have allow like 0.1 percent of copper 
then you could add like way more. For example, you can go from like 20% recycled content if you have a limit of 0.15 of iron. If you right. have like something like 0.25%, you can go up to 80% because you don't have diluted that much. And that's something the people giving out the parts and buying the parts, that's up to them for the specification to say what right yeah yeah makes sense and since i've been in this industry i I am seeing that sorting cleaning drying the lacquering is more and more something that you are seeing in the industry right people is getting or they are realizing that this is a process that you need to have inside your facility in order to meet the specification you just said because you will avoid also the use of primary aluminum. Uh, we have a customer here, it's, it's, it's a friend more than a customer, that they make aluminum ingots with the same characteristics of primary ingots out of just scrap. They make around 200 different alloys by year, yearly in just one furnace. And they have a process that they can avoid really, really good the contamination between those uh, different alloys. Let me ask you something because this is very interesting to me because scrap is simple. You have different type of scraps. You go to the scrap yard, you select, you clean, whatever, and then boom, you have a really good um, efficiency. But with the new EVs and the new car structures, you will have a really big piece of aluminum. Recycling that really big piece of aluminum won't be that easy as you have all these different small, small scraps. So what do you what do you think about it? How do you see it? Because then it's just one alloy. It's a big part. How you can play with it? Um, I don't see an issue there because the furnaces grow with the larger pieces so so the shaft will be bigger to put them in and also you can crush them to smaller pieces quite easily yeah i think crushing will be more easier than to, than to build a big furnace to put everything you need a big density, furnace you need right? about if you have like a giga casting you need at least four to eight tons per hour of melted aluminum yeah we are talking about a, between 40 up to 80 100 tons melting capacity or liquid yeah, aluminum capacity. And, yeah. yeah, talking yeah. per hour. And that's that's basically yeah, yeah. around the 80 tons mark. And with that, you need quite a big furnace. Yeah, I I'm, I'm, I'm agree with you. Now, I don't want to take much time from your side. What is those recommendations that you can give to those people that are, uh, are out there trying to understand this process and how to implement this process into the die casting process they have? What is a really good recommendation for them? A really good recommendation would be um, try to think completely different. So if you have a a blank piece of paper write down what you want to have and then try to see okay can you have it for different castings with different casting methods and also get out of your everyday view talk to some people that use it and then form an opinion if it's working for you or not and also reach out to me maybe i can give you an idea if it's working for you or not right so and now just to get into the end of this uh interview that i really appreciate it thank you so much for your time i can see that you have a really nice microphone and a really good set what do you do and if you want to give uh, like or, or, or make an invitation for people to go i don't know if you have a podcast or uh because i can see that you talk about the process and you have a really good videos on your linkedin uh page so what do you do a part of being the ceo of this company so basically what I'm talking about, um, delivering knowledge about hybrid die casting, rear casting, sustainability, and then going out in the foundries, casting these pieces to the quality that we that I put on the, fo- on the slides earlier. And that's basically very time consuming. And that's <laughs> yes. what I'm doing. <laughs> and it's always in the same three the topics, hybrid die casting, rear casting, sustainability, and they're all working together. And yeah, if you want to learn about it, I do have a newsletter. I think you can put the link down 
in the description. Sure. And then people can sign up and every week they get one piece of information. Actually, there are two pieces of information with each newsletter. Great. Yeah, we, we also have a, newsla uh, a newsletter that uh, the name, I think, is so, with so many things around, you know, working around. The name is everything about aluminum. But sure, send me the link. I will put it on the description. People can go there. Yeah. and yeah, It's called Learning of the Week. And also, okay. it's basically the same thing that I put weekly on LinkedIn. Perfect. Sounds good to me. So, Fabian, thank you so much for being here. Anything else that you want to share with us before we go? Yeah, yeah thank you for the invitation and the opportunity. It was a very interesting talk about the future of the casting industry. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> okay, yeah, thank it would you be so great to have a, like a follow up in a few years to see what happened in the meantime. Definitely, definitely. In a couple of years, we will touch base again. Maybe not in a couple of years. Maybe in a year or maybe earlier. Let's five, see maybe what the development will be. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the aliens can come with all this noise that we are seeing right now, <laughs> and the technology will change like drastically. <laughs> who, hey, who knows? We can also make parts for UFOs. So. <laughs> <laughs> a new a new market for us. <laughs> so again, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, send me the information. I will be more than happy to share with our audience and people. Just go there, see what Fabian has um, related to knowledge. You will learn a lot. And if you need some consultant about these topics, here's the man.